0: Last week, Congressman Susan Davis made it official. She's not running again for the 53rd District. Davis has been a cornerstone in San Diego politics for years and has won re-election every year since 2000. The district covers most of San Diego's central neighborhoods, from Mission Hills to the college area, and south through La Mesa, Lemon Grove, and eastern Chula Vista, all reliably Democratic parts of the county. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton. This is your San Diego News Fix. We have political reporter Charles Clark and political columnist Michael Smolens. So let's step back to when we first heard the announcement that she was retiring. What was the reaction from the San Diego political community?
1: I mean, just absolutely shocked. Honestly, I don't think anyone saw it coming. Um, Certainly none of the members of the delegation uh, who work alongside her thought it was going to happen. Even some of her closest friends uh, and kind of longtime confidants like Assemblymember Todd Gloria uh, even I think people like him were surprised because she was always someone that you really, I think, never they never really gave much of an indication that she was going to
2: step away. Mm-hmm. There was always speculation at what point would she. She's been there for a good while. But this year, uh, the, the real buzz was about Scott Peters. He was going to run for mayor and then didn't and stepped down from Congress. And, of course, the uncertainty surrounding Duncan Hunter and, and whether he'll even be in office to run for reelection. So those this did kind of come out of the blue. But I think uh, as Charlie and I were talking, it's kind of a testament to her. She's had pretty much the same staff for almost the whole time she's been in there that this never leaked out because it's a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm.
0: And I understand that when it comes to this coming election, our perspectives are warped because of 2020 and Donald Trump. So is this an earlier time to announce that you're retiring in these kind of situations or is this kind of a natural time to
2: do so? It's it's a good question and a tough one. It seemed kind of late, to be honest with Mm -hmm. you, that that because people that might think about running for that seat had already started. Well, they're running for re-election and and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, for instance, we mentioned uh, Charlie mentioned Todd Gloria was her protege. He worked as an intern and then as a staff member. Uh, He was always the one people figured would try to step in whenever she stepped down. This has been going on for a long time. He's running for mayor. Now, had she given that signal some time ago, would that have changed? I don't know. But Mm -hmm. uh, uh, it seems a little late in the game because, remember, it's a March primary. So over the summer, when I talked about the slow period, some consultants were saying, well, actually, it's like December in a normal year when when it's a June primary. So things are really heating up. Mm -hmm. So, what should people know about the legacy of
0: Susan Davis? Let's kind of recap some of her accomplishments as she's been in Congress for 19 years, Charlie.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's fascinating, um, especially as the senior most member of San Diego's delegation, uh, kind of the, the last one standing, actually, after we had kind of the same delegation for quite a while. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, when she came into office in 2000, she was i believe well she was one of only two democrats in our delegation Mm -hmm. democrats were in the minority which was kind of how most of her tenure went i mean you know nearly 20 years in office 10 terms only one of those terms was she in the majority and had a democratic president so it wasn't like she was going to be able to pass any some you know giant sweeping national legislation that just wasn't really a possibility but with that being said she really did find a way to still make an impact as very much a local congresswoman. She became known for really focusing in on a lot of local issues, be it the expansion of the trolley out to uh, SDSU in East County, uh, or, you know, she was always a team player when it came to some of the bigger projects our delegation was working on. She also managed to actually play a role in a few of the higher profile national things as well, Mm -hmm. Uh, two of the most notable being one actually a bill she passed in the when she was in the state assembly that gave women direct access to their OBGYN so that, I guess at the time, insurers required that women get a primary referral from their doc before they could see their OBGYN, which mm-hmm. is really problematic and just an added obstacle um, when at a certain point in a woman's life, your OBGYN is essentially your primary care provider. Uh, so she passed that in the state assembly. She then introduced that every term that she was in Congress until it actually got incorporated into the Affordable Care Act. So mm-hmm. that made it a national standard, so that was pretty massive. Uh, and the one other really big thing that came up often was her role in the kind of removal of the don't ask, don't tell policy. Mm-hmm. As chair of one of the of the military
2: personnel subcommittees, she actually led the first congressional hearings into the matter. Well, and it, as Trey said, she was big on, on health care. And with the All Politics Local, as he alluded to, she's on the House Armed Services Committee and was very instrumental in helping bring a lot of military funding here that was needed but also certainly helps the region in an economic sense, um, but also really big in helping military families, uh, mm-hmm. military spouses, uh, getting jobs, and, and so forth. Uh, she was big on apprenticeship programs, so she really kind of worked pretty well with the labor and business. Uh, You might look at it a little bit as a little ball, but that makes a big impact. Uh, She was uh, very well-liked in her district, never had a a problem being reelected. And one thing that uh, was—Charlie did an excellent story, by the way, over this weekend, profiling her and looking back to a person that they asked. They just talked about the kind of person she was and how she carried herself as a politician. You know, in this day where we're screaming out for more civility, more bipartisanship— that's what susan davis really was mm-hmm. and frankly uh, you know and i'm responsible as long as others i've been around probably didn't get enough credit that we say that's what we want but uh you know did we talk more about those people that actually did that and because maybe she wasn't as verbose and and, and as much of a bomb thrower as some of the people who get the attention but uh, i think her legacy will be remembered very very fondly in that regard
0: yeah and when thinking about the kind of the grand political narrative of the past 20 years, those are some big moments that really changed and really defined the Democratic Party in that period of time. So she really was part of that national conversation when it came to the ACA and Don't Ask, Don't Tell.
2: Yeah. And as Charlie pointed out, she's uh, very methodical. Uh, She didn't jump on the Don't Ask, Don't Tell bandwagon from the start. She wanted to basically research it. And I think as he just said, She held hearings and had experts and sort of developed that way. And that's just her her whole M.O. Mm -hmm.
0: And now it's a little bit too early to exactly say who's likely to succeed her. Oh, it's never too early. (laughs) (laughs) But what is the landscape right now?
1: Well, you know, so far we've seen, uh, well, you know, rumors start swirling instantly and there are a lot of names lobbed around. So far we have Sarah Jacobs who definitively jumped into the race. She's a pretty notable Democrat who has... Essentially, in Democratic circles, she's rumored for just about every office that opens up. I think this is the first one she's openly declared for, uh, since she ran for the seat in the 49th District and lost to now Congressman Mike Levin in a close primary contest. Uh, we're also anticipating that Georgette Gomez is one name that's being circulated a lot. She may jump in, the San Diego City Council president, uh, as well as a few other...
2: Yeah, I mean, those are really the two people are talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, there's one Republican woman whose name I can't uh, remember. femela Ramos. Right, who just right. entered. It's a heavily Democratic district. I mean, unless uh, lightning strikes a bunch of times, it's going to be a Democrat. Who's going to run is the question. And I think that we can certainly count on uh, Sarah Jacobs, who's the very wealthy granddaughter of Irwin Jacobs, the mm-hmm. co-founder of Qualcomm, and Georgia Gomez, who is uh, young but gained a lot of influence as council president and the president of the Metropolitan Transit uh, Transportation Board. Transport. Um, we expect her to get, and you never know until she does. Uh, others are being talked about. The mayor of uh, Lemongrove, Raquel Vasquez, has talked about it. I think beyond people like that, it's going to be tough for people from the smaller cities not to be overshadowed and outgunned by the likes of A Gomez and uh, um, uh, uh, and Jacobs. But open congressional seats only come along so often. Usually there's a big crowd running, as there was uh, Charlie Luton in the 49th District that mm-hmm. might Levin won last year
0: certainly and this district is kind of most of
2: like it's about half of San Diego more or less right a little less than that it it stretches it kind of straddles uh, I-8 almost from the bay I-8 and then goes all the way out to Santian El Con and then swings down to to like Otay Mesa so it's a it covers a lot of not deep deep east county but some Mm -hmm. of the east county uh, suburbs and cities Along with some of the South, mm-hmm.
1: right. Also, I just realized it's worth mentioning too. We also already had two primary challengers to Davis in the race, uh, neither of which had this, you know, the profile of Georgette or Sarah. But uh, you know, and Jose Caballero, who's been running for a while, uh, I think a and, former Bernie delegate, if I recall right. correctly,
2: a mm-hmm. uh, guy named Joaquin Vasquez? Is that? Uh, I believe so. But anyway, uh, the um, th- th- who knows. Anything can mm-hmm. happen, but it's it's going to be hard not to be uh, uh, a sort of second-tier candidate after you get the, the likes of Gomez and Jacobs in. Uh, there's talk about uh, Assemblywoman Shirley Weber, who people – she's very well-liked among Democrats. She's been around for a long time. Uh, she is fearless. She's taken on some big issues in Sacramento and, and gotten some through, so she's been effective. Uh, and her uh, she's just a spellbinding orator I mean some of the clips of her speeches on the floor of the Assembly have become uh, you know viral internet things uh, for among the political class hmm but it's, it's been pretty quiet from in her camp
0: so it's safe to say that whoever runs and wins in this race is likely to be a moderate Democrat given the kind of diversity of this this entire the geography and you know things are splintering a little bit in the Democratic Party with you have the vocal minority led by AOC and others. So this does seem like this is more of a moderate
2: area. Conceivably, yes. I mean, and it's a lot more suburban than, than people think. Uh, it, it's a little bit more uh, middle class and blue collar than the, uh, uh, the 49th district that uh, Jacobs ran for and the 52nd mm-hmm. district where Scott Peters uh almost vacated to run for mayor, and and Jacobs ran for that, that, or was thinking of running for that. Um, It's hard hard to say because the party activists tend to be more progressive. uh, And tend to be more loud. And active, but they're also the ones that really populate these Democratic clubs, and they have influence on how the party endorsement goes. I would venture to argue that Georgia Gomez has a big following among them. She is of them. She was a community activist. She's Mm -hmm. LGBTQ um, and she's a young progressive. Um, uh, That's not to say that uh, Sarah Jacob doesn't have a lot of following there but uh, is Sarah Jacob more appealing to the more suburban uh, parts of the, the community? Would, would uh, Gomez be viewed as more of a liberal? Uh, it's, it's hard to say, but there, you've hit upon a dynamic that's going to be interesting in that district.
0: Mm-hmm, certainly, and that's kind of a, the national kind of conversation when it comes to the Democratic Party right now, kind of in play in real time in that part of our city.
1: Yeah, and you know, t- to echo Michael, I mean, that's really what's going to be fascinating to watch here. Um, I think if you look at Susan Davis and the fact that she always was winning – And very rarely drew any. And she never really drew, you know, other than her first race, she never drew a serious challenger, Republican or Democrat. Um, And that was kind of a testament to, you know, both her policy positions, both as more of a moderate Democrat and just how well known she was in the district. You know, I had a few different people actually mention to me when we kind of talked about what comes next there, what kind of candidate does well. And most said it's probably, you know, just given what people have proven they like there, and there was no indication they would have gone without Davis this time around, even Mm -hmm. with more liberal challengers, there's probably a sense there that, you know, you get to a general, there's going to be a lot of people that want more of that moderator, at least someone who really stresses that awareness of local issues in the way that Susan did. I mean, she was a very accessible congresswoman Mm -hmm. in a way that I I think is rather unparalleled. Mm -hmm.
2: I I think that, that, uh, yes, once incumbents start winning, if it's not a very close district in terms of voter registration— they're usually going to—unless they mess up, they're usually going to get reelected, and they usually do pretty easily. Um, one thing to keep in mind, it's going to be a phenomenal election year, and there's going to be a lot of challenges for uh, and competition for resources. That is going to go to—like I said, they're going to go to a Democrat unless something just wild happens. And so is a lot of the—are a lot of the Democratic donors going to be focusing on—and I'll answer my question. Yes, they will—on mm-hmm. other congressional races with where they're—you know, the, the Democrats are—, are you know need to defend and need to win to keep holding on to the house there's still going to push to try to take over the senate and of course most importantly for them the you know t- taking the white house back so in, on that level it would seem like Jacobs has that built in advantage she's got millions of dollars mm-hmm. uh, on the other hand as we saw in the 49th district she spent a lot of money and ended up out of the running after the primary so um you know it'll be tough to judge but i think that that uh, will be a challenge for perhaps Gomez, but certainly for the other candidates.
0: Mm -hmm, Certainly. And uh, Charlie, in writing your story and speaking to everyone and and hearing the kind of legacy of Susan Davis, is there a moment or like a story that someone told you that really kind of sticks out to you as like, this is who she was as the congressperson?
1: On Saturday, I went to what was her first public event that she's hosted since she kind of just made this announcement, which also, I think, very telling how she made the announcement. She didn't put out a press release. Like, that wasn't how word got around. She sent a letter to all of her constituents to let them know, which I think was very indicative of kind of how she approached the job. Mm-hmm. But anyway, returned to the event Saturday. It was part of this policy series that she puts on. And she's, I believe, the only congressional office, not just in San Diego, but I think possibly in the country, that does these things where they're policy series where she brings in experts from around the country to meet and talk to her constituents. They're very well attended. Um, there were a couple of hundred people there on this one at sdsu mm-hmm. and so you know uh S- susan davis she shows up before the event uh a lot of people come up and she's talking to all of them and a lot of well-wishers and people you know talking about how sad they are to see her go uh there was even a moment a guy was talking about her and he said something to the effect of just you know it just is really painful to have to, you know this departure you were always you know there and there was a like a little group behind him who didn't know him, just like here, here, and they started applauding. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, you know, S- Susan, she, she goes up on stage, and it's funny, this would have been an event where you'd think this is kind of your moment to make it about you, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's the news dominating the cycle. She didn't really talk about herself uh, at all or her decision. She literally got up there two minutes, I-, I think, tops. She talked about, you know, leaving, and her main line was, I'm just grateful to all of you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was really reflective of how she approached her job was it wasn't ever really about her. And that's something I heard from both Democrats and Republicans is that for Susan Davis, the job was always about serving her constituents. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that was even reflected in kind of how she departed. She also was someone who was known as being just very real. Um, I remember one thing that uh, Assemblyman Todd Gloria told me who. Is interesting because he's known her since he was fourteen. Wow. Yeah, yeah. He he was one of her Price Fellows before she uh, joined the Assembly, and then he ended up working in both her Assembly office and then her Congressional office. Um, but I guess he remembers at a summer camp that there was a time where I guess Susan's uh, a hubcap on her car had like come off or something. It was like she just had some you know replacement that didn't look very good. Totally oblivious to it because Todd I guess went out and he got her you know a replacement one and he came to offer and she just didn't know what on earth he was talking about like it just it wasn't something that registered for her and he was like you know you, you would think someone you know maybe just the stereotype of being the mom from kensington and maybe there were people who thought she might have been more aloof or just mm-hmm. stuck up or something and that just was never her she she was always the same
2: and and that uh, event on saturday that charlie talked about uh, it you know she gave her a little spiel but you know she got out of the way she she went to get the job done. what the job of this thing was, was to let the people hear from experts, probably ask them questions and so forth. So often when uh, politicians hold these kinds of things, they're center stage pretty much the whole time, Mm -hmm. moderating or asking questions. And she obviously participated, but she kind of let the experts do their thing, Mm -hmm. which is the way she's always been.
0: Yeah. So after all this, what are the implications for the delegation to actually get things done for San Diego now that this kind of changes the mix?
2: Oh well, I mean, when you look at it, just over a two-year period, this relatively stable five-member delegation uh, could potentially have three new members over a two-year period. We had Mike Levin; it's going to be a new replacement for Susan Davis, and Duncan Hunter may not may not last. What that means is it's uncertain. They, you know, they have their partisan differences, but they come together in a collegial way for big local issues. I think we've seen, like Mike Levin, join the team. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they they work in that interactive way to, for the best of San Diego, which they actually have done pretty effectively in the past.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just to, to kind of echo Michael, you know that that's kind of I think the real question mark here. And one thing that came up a lot during our conversation my conversations with different people about her departure is the implications on how San Diego how effective San Diego can really be. Um, you know both. Actually, literally three people who all brought it up were Congressman Juan Vargas, Congressman Scott Peters, and former Congressman Daryl Issa, who actually entered Congress at the same time as Susan Davis. Uh, And all three of them talked about the fact that, look, you you lose a certain seniority as well, right? It's not just that we all cohesively work together. It's also the fact that this is a woman who is the second highest Democratic member on the House Armed Services Committee, You're, Mm -hmm. you're losing a lot of seniority. And you're losing someone who was really effective at rallying people across the aisle. I mean, I, in my experience, I have never had anyone who I could write a story about and reach out and literally, I had five or six Republicans instantly respond that they were happy to offer a comment and just a lot of praise, which you really don't see.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it's probably the not the last conversation we'll have about this district. Thank you both. Michael you. Smolens, Charlie Clark. In other political news, U.S. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg officiated a wedding for a notable San Diegan, Ted Didi, the president of the La Jolla Music Society. Didi married Pamela Hinchman, a Northwestern University music professor in Chicago. The crowd at the Four Seasons Hotel applauded as Associate Justice Ginsburg announced she was conducting the vows, quote, by the power vested in me by the Constitution. The justice has had some health troubles recently, including treatment for a tumor on her pancreas. Thanks for listening to the San Diego News Fix, which goes live weekdays at 5 p.m. On weekday mornings, you can also hear a quick rundown of local weather and headlines. Just tell your smart speaker to launch the San Diego Union Tribune. You can also get the flash briefing as a podcast. For a full listing of our audio offerings, go to uniontrib.com podcasts. Until next time.